0: Turn with me tonight in your Bible to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 38. We're going to read from the verse 9, Isaiah 38 verse 9. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Let's remember the prophecy of Isaiah was 700 years before Christ ever came. Isaiah 38 verse 9 The writing of Hezekiah king of Judah When he had been sick and was recovered of a sickness I said in the cutting off of my days I shall go to the gates of the grave I am deprived of the residue of my years I said I shall not see the Lord Even the Lord in the land of the living I shall behold man no more with the inhabitants of the world Mine age is departed and is removed from me As a shepherd's tent I have cut off like a weaver's my life He will cut me off with pining sickness From day even to night will they make an end of me I reckon till morning that as a lion So will he break all my bones. From day even to night will thou make an end of me. Like a crane or a swallow so did I chatter. I did mourn as a dove. Mine eyes fail with looking upward. O Lord I am oppressed. Undertake for me. What shall I say? He hath both spoken unto me and himself hath done it. I shall go softly all my years in the bitterness of my soul. O Lord, by these things men live, and in all these things is the life of my spirit. So wilt thou recover me and make me to live. Behold, for peace I had great bitterness, but thou hast in love to my soul delivered it from the pit of corruption. For thou hast cast all my sins behind thy back, for the grave cannot praise thee. Death cannot celebrate thee. They that go down into the pit cannot hope for thy truth. The living, the living, he shall praise thee as I do this day. The father to the children shall make known thy truth. The Lord was ready to save me. Therefore we will sing my songs to the stringed instruments all the days of our life in the house of the Lord. For Isaiah had said, let them take a lump of figs and laid for a plaster upon the boil, and he shall recover. Hezekiah also had said, What is the sign that I shall go up to the house of the Lord? Amen. And the Lord will stamp with his own approval this blessing, the reading of the Holy Scriptures. My text tonight is taken from Isaiah 38. And we're thinking about the verse 17. It reads, Behold, for peace I had great bitterness, but thou hast in love to my soul delivered it from the pit of corruption, for thou hast cast all my sins behind thy back. And my theme this evening is the wonderful testimony of the love of God. So as you think of this text of scripture, think of a wonderful testimony of the love of God. Now these words were uttered by the godly king Hezekiah after recovering from a horrible illness that brought him down to the very door of death. God, remember, had sent Isaiah the prophet to Hezekiah and told him that he wasn't going to recover from his illness, but that he was actually going to die. He was instructed to set his house in order and told thou shalt die and not live. And the Bible tells us that Hezekiah turned his face to the wall. So think of him lying in his bed or his couch. He hears this news. You're not going to live. You're going to die. And he prays unto the Lord. And we read that, of course, in chapter 38 and verse 2. Then Hezekiah turned his face toward the wall and prayed unto the Lord and said, Remember now, O Lord, I beseech thee, how I have walked before thee in truth and with a perfect heart, and have done that which is good in thy sight. And Hezekiah wept sore. Now, now God heard that prayer. And God answered that prayer. And God, in wonderful grace, gave him another 15 years to live. Now, he's aged 39. And at 39 years of age, he utters the very words of our text... Think of verse 9 in particular, the context, the writing of Hezekiah, king of Judah, when he had been sick and was recovered of his sickness. And as he thought about recovering from his sickness, he's giving a wonderful testimony of the love of God. Think again of these words now, behold, for peace I had great bitterness but thou hast in love to my soul delivered it from the pit of corruption for thou hast cast all my sins behind thy back now I want you to think of three things I want you to follow me if you can very carefully think of the crisis that he experienced behold for peace I had great bitterness now I want you to think of Hezekiah he's a good godly king He's a man who loves the Lord, and yet he lived through some very horrible times. He's a man of principle with a desire to please the Lord A man who stands for truth and righteousness A man who's stout-hearted and true to the cause of God He comes to the throne at 25 He started a great work of reformation He broke down the images and the groves erected by his father He removed the centers of idolatry He refused to be a servant to the king of Assyria He refused to give in to the demands of the uh, Philistines And as king he sought to establish the law of God as a rule of life for the country. And you see, we're told something about Hezekiah in Kings, in 2 Kings 18 and the verse 5, where you read this information. He trusted in the Lord God of Israel, so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, There any that were before him. In other words, he stood head and shoulders above all the kings of Judah, And of course, that included the kings of Israel. And then we read something else about him in chapter uh, 20 of 2 Kings, chapter 20, and in the verse 3, he says to the Lord in prayer, O Lord, remember now how I have walked before thee in truth and with a perfect heart, and have done that which is good in thy sight. So here's this godly king And he uses his public office, he's using his credentials as a man of God to influence the land for God and good. And it wasn't easy in his life situation. Because at that time, the people of Judah had turned their back on the Lord. And they had turned to the path of sin and iniquity. And here's a man on the throne, and he is an eye for the glory of God. He is an eye for the good of his people. And he longs for his nation to be turned back to God. And when we examine his life story, as you think of the crisis that he experienced, think of these words, Behold, for peace I had great bitterness. Why? Because he's got a threefold crisis that he's facing. You see, he didn't live a trouble-free life. He faced a national crisis. Hezekiah faced a conflict with surrounding nations. He comes to the throne at 25 years of age, and for the next 14 years he has to face two sieges. The city of Samaria and one of those sieges is besieged for at least 3 years trying to force them into submission. So, so think of it. For the first 14 years of his reign, he was 25 when he took the throne. And he's now 39. And for those 14 years, he faces a very difficult trying time nationally. There was times when he tore his clothes in despair. He faced uncertainty. He didn't know what course to take and what to do. He was often in darkness. And what do you do when you're in despair and darkness? Well, all you can do is trust in the Lord God of Israel. All you can do is pray. And spread the matter before the Lord. All you can do is trust in him for mercy and for help. I want you to think tonight of a godly man living in a horrible time of national crisis. And what do godly men do in such a horrible time of national crisis? Well they trust in the Lord. Listen to these words in Isaiah 50. Who is among you that feareth the Lord, that obeyeth the voice of his servant, That walketh in darkness and hath no light Let him trust in the name of the Lord And stay upon his God And that's exactly what Hezekiah did He trusted the Lord In his darkness and despair For help and deliverance But he also faced a personal crisis See, after 14 years in the throne In the height of all this trouble Hezekiah became terminally ill was it the stress that triggered it? I don't know. But I do know that what he says in the text, if you look at the words, I had great bitterness. Do you know what that means in the Hebrew? The word great's an adjective, so it's describing the bitterness. But the word great in the Hebrew isn't actually there. It means that I had bitter bitterness. In other words, it was intensely emotional. He could feel the depth of his pain. This was a heart-crushing situation. He's filled with a sense of sorrow, a sense of bitterness, a sense of hopelessness. Remember, we read in chapter 38, verse 1: In those days was Hezekiah sick unto death. Now, now, think of that. There was a problem on his skin, boils became ulcerated. This was a a deadly disease that was going to lead to his death. And, And this disease was fatal. So I want you to think of Hezekiah facing a personal crisis. He's facing death. And God sends Isaiah the prophet. And Isaiah the prophet tells him this message. Thus saith the Lord, set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. Now think of that. Remember, he's only 39 years of age. Would you think tonight of the roots of death? Sickness and suffering come to a godly man. A good man doing a great work for God, using his office as king for the glory of God, and yet here he is, and he's still afflicted. Not only has he faced a national crisis for 14 years, But he's experiencing this personal crisis in his body. Can we not say tonight that God is sovereign? That God works in ways that are past finding out. Surely we can't explain this. Surely we don't understand it. A man of God doing a great work for God. And suddenly he takes sick. And the sickness results in his death. I encourage you tonight to pray for the Silverside family. You've heard about the passing Of the Reverend David Silverside The Reformed Presbyterian minister In Loughbrichton Even though we didn't Share the pulpit in the same denomination I believe he was a man of God A good man Who sought to do a good work for God And there he is at the age of 66 And God has taken him home I think of my dear friend the Reverend David Sinton and, And his sudden passing Through an accident in the A1 carriageway Why? We can't understand it. Sickness and suffering come to godly men. See, God's ways are not our ways. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. Think not only of the roots of death, but think about the reality of death. Hezekiah is only what? 54. He was 39 when he was sick. And after prayer, God gave him 15 more years. And you view the mass, he was only aged 54. He was a relatively young man. Imagine being 39 and hearing the news from the prophet, the Lord's word. You're not going to live. You're going to die. It's a word from the Lord. Remember, death's no respecter of person. And you see, the thing about it is many young people refuse to consider this. Moses prayed, oh, that men were wise. Oh, that they would consider their latter end. The young men need to do that. In their twenties and thirties and forties and fifties. See, they never think, well, I could be gone by my next birthday. Oh, death's for the old people. But, but it's not. The reality of death, here's a man and at 54 years of age, he passes into God's eternity. You, you may not see tomorrow. You may not see next week. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof, Jesus said. Could I tell you something else? There's the readiness for death. What was he told? Set thine house in order. What did that mean? Did it mean go home and fix the palace? Did it mean get a team of workmen in and do a bit of repairs? Did it mean get the house nicely painted and decorated for a funeral service? No, it doesn't mean that, young people. What it it means is this set thine house in order. It's a reference to his life. It's a reference to his affairs, his concerns, his interests, life as he knows it. And it's really an instruction from God to, to get ready to meet God. Remember Job said, man dieth and wasteth away and giveth up the ghost. And where is he? See the most important thing that Hezekiah had Was his soul, his own soul Jesus said what shall it profit a man If he shall gain the whole world And lose his own soul And see one day like Hezekiah You too are going to die And and, and, and your soul And the salvation of your soul Needs immediate attention And and notice it In preparation for death What it involved It involved a, a seeking of God This was devastating news Did the man want to die? No, but he couldn't stop his death and in his distress he cries to the Lord. You see, Hezekiah has no son. He has no heir. He's no natural successor. There's no bloodline to continue the godly line in the tribe of Judah. Is he thinking about the Messiah coming? He's deeply distressed in soul. He weeps sore. He seeks the Lord. His life is full of tears and sighs and griefs and brokenness of heart and bitterness. The Bible tells us in the book of Isaiah, in Isaiah 55 and the verses 6, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call you upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. See, here's a man, and he's got a a personal crisis. And the roots of death are being seen. The sickness and the suffering that's come upon him. And he's going to die, either at 39 or 54. And it's a reality. It's inevitable. And he's instructed to get ready by seeking the Lord. This man also faced a spiritual crisis. Look at our text. It says, Behold. And the word behold means to think about and to understand. For peace, I had great bitterness. That literally means on my peace came great bitterness. I want you to try and grasp this. He lost his peace in the midst of this crisis, nationally and personally. He was robbed of peace. His heart and life is filled with anxiety. He lost his peace with God. He felt he was in a hopeless state, that his soul was cast down. He's depressed. He's oppressed. He lost the peace of God, even in that situation. He's in a state of despair and depression. Um, weren't we reading that tonight? Did you catch the sense of that from verse nine onwards? Could I ask tonight? Is this a picture of you in the meeting? You're here as a godly man or woman, and you're faced with a crisis. You're, you're thinking about the crisis in the nation. You're concerned for your country. Maybe you've got a personal problem. It may not be physical, but maybe some other sort of problem, and it's robbed you of peace. And your life at this moment, you could say, is full of bitterness. I'm in a sense of hopelessness. I'm in a sense of despair. I even despair of life some days myself. The crisis that he experienced. I want you to think, secondly and very quickly, of the conversion that he enjoyed. Look again at our text. But thou hast in love to my soul delivered it from the pit of corruption. For thou hast cast all my sins behind thy back. See, how did this man face this crisis? How did he face death itself? Well, I believe he remembered that he had a testimony to the saving and keeping power of God. He could face death because he enjoyed God's great salvation. See, you can face death without money tonight. You don't need to be rich. You could face it without owning any property. You don't need a big house or a farm. You can face it without fame tonight. You can face it even without friends. But you can't face death without a saving interest in Jesus Christ. You can't face death without God's so great salvation. Notice what he recognized and realized. There's the subject of sin in this conversion. Notice what he says. My sins. See, he wasn't always a man of God. He wasn't born a godly man. He wasn't born a righteous person. He was born in sin and he shaped in iniquity. The psalmist said, Behold, I was shaped in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. It was Paul that said, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world and death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And that one man, of course, remember, was Adam. He was born with a heart against God, He, he was born with a life full of rebellion. He didn't love the Lord with all his heart and soul and mind and strength. He didn't always believe in God and His Word. He wasn't living for God. He's a stranger to God and grace. But there was a time in his life whenever he owned his own sin. He, he, he knew that he was to blame for his sin. He didn't blame his background, his bad influences of his father. He didn't blame his environment. Notice he mentions it in the plural my sins. Isn't that wonderful? More than one. All sorts of sins of thought and word and deed. See, see, the problem tonight with many is that they're not willing to face up to their own sin. They might talk about sin. They might even talk about sins. But they'll not talk about my sin. And yet the Bible says if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Because the psalmist said my sin is ever before thee. See, sin is not hid from the Lord. We could say with Hagar, Thou, God, sees me, and God sees you in your home. God sees you in school, in the workplace. God sees you in society. Nothing is hid. Our open sins, our secret sins, our presumptuous sins. See, see, God takes notice of it. Many don't view themselves tonight as sinful. They like to compare themselves with others and they talk about their goodness and their their clean living. But they never talk about my sins. This man faced up to the subject of sin. Think also about the sentence of sin. Notice what he mentions in the text. He tells us here, but thou hast in love to my soul delivered it from the pit of corruption. You see, this is unique to Hezekiah. These words are not found anywhere else in the Bible. And the commentators tell us it refers to a dungeon, like a hole in the ground, like a dried up well that's closed up with a big boulder or some sort of stone slab to cut off the light and to cut off the air. And often in that dungeon, that not only is the the bottom of it got clay and muck, But oftentimes that clay and muck fills up with water and turns into some sort of slime. And and remember, Jeremiah was was sinking in such a dungeon and it wasn't safe for Jeremiah because he, he was in danger of losing his life there. Can I remind you of the wonderful words of King David whenever he said in Psalm 40, remember his own personal testimony, what did he tell us? He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. See, See, let's remember there is such a thing as the sentence of sin. The wages of sin is death, the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us the wicked shall be turned into hell and all nations that forget God. Jesus said, fear not them which kill the body, but rather fear him that have power to throw both body and soul into hell. And and how many tonight are deserving of this sentence of sin to be carried out, to be put into this pit of corruption, not only in the sense of time, but but for all eternity. You think of those tonight who are living without God in the world, those who are um, living without the love of God ruling and reigning in their heart, They have no knowledge or fear or thought of him. And they're into the drug culture and the drink culture and into the sex culture. And you think of the impact and influence that they're doing to themselves, doing to their soul, the harm that they're doing to others. And where are they going to end? Well, here's the answer, the pit of corruption. Because this is the ultimate sentence for sin Fear not them which kill the body But rather fear him That's God Who hath power to throw both body and soul Into hell And then think of this There's salvation from sin Notice the words in the text But thou hast in love to my soul Delivered it From the pit of corruption Is not tremendous You see Hezekiah realized that he couldn't save himself from this pit of corruption. He knew that he couldn't lift himself out of this pit by his own power and strength. He needed one to do it. And what was the basis upon which that was to be done? Well, here's the answer. For thou hast in love to my soul delivered it from the pit of corruption. The basis of God's great salvation is the love of God toward us in Christ. Literally in the Hebrew is Thou hast loved my soul from the pit How do we know that God loves us? Did God love him because he was a good king? Because he was a godly king? Did God love him because he deserved it? Did God love him because he had a right and entitlement to that love? Did God love him because he was better than someone else? The answer is No Deuteronomy 7 and 7 says, I have loved you because I loved you. But God who is rich in mercy. You see, here's what lay behind the great demonstration and commendation of God's great salvation. The infinite love and mercy of God. John 3 and 16, remember, says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Does the Bible not tell us, but God commended his love toward us? And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us? And remember what we read in John's gospel, or First John chapter 4. And this was manifested the love of God toward us. Because that God sent his only begotten son into the world. That we might live through him. Here in his love. Not that we love God. But that he loved us. And sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. We're going to sing in closing that great hymn. Love lifted me. Think of the words. I was sinking deep in sin. Sinking to rise no more Overwhelmed by guilt within Mercy I did implore And what lifted him It was love lifted me We have a living saviour tonight But glory to God We have a loving saviour The Bible tells us that God is love You, You think of the Lord Jesus Christ tonight Leaving the father's house Disentangling himself from the bosom of his everlasting father As the eternal son was incarnated in embryonic form in the womb of the Virgin. And he was born into this sin-cursed world in the fullness of time. And he set his flint, face like a flint to go to Calvary and lay down his life as a ransom for many there in the tree. You see, God's saving power tonight is rooted in the special and in the sovereign. And in the saving love of God. And if you want to know that God is love tonight. Go to Calvary. And and think of what happened there. We're told in Isaiah 63 and 1. That the Lord Jesus is mighty to save. The Bible says behold now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Maybe you're here tonight. You said to me. I'm too bad I couldn't be saved. I've sinned too much against God. I've lived in sin too long. I'm a deep-dyed and the wool sinner. God wouldn't be interested in me. Christ couldn't save me. Well, I want to tell you tonight that Jesus Christ is mighty to save. And over in Isaiah, he tells us there in Isaiah chapter uh, 1 in the verse 18 Come now and let us reason together Saith the Lord Though your sins be as scarlet They shall be white as snow Though the beret is crimson They shall be like will That's the basis of God's salvation Think of the blessedness of salvation Because he says in our text What, what does he tell us there in Isaiah 38 And the verse 17 He tells us this But I in love to my soul See, See he's thinking about my soul See, he knew he had a soul. And the soul was the most precious thing that he had. And he knew the soul would live on in God's eternity. And he knew about the immortality of the soul. And he knew that he wanted to be saved. He wanted to enjoy peace with God and the peace of God. Despite his circumstances. Despite his personal distress and his trouble and his oppression. In the midst of his concern for his country. His concern for his health. His domestic situation. He wanted to know. That his soul was saved. There's not only. The subject of sin. And the sentence of sin. But salvation from sin. And let me just close with this thought. The compassion that he enunciated. Not only did he talk about the crisis that he experienced. And the conversion that he enjoyed But think about the compassion he enunciated Look at the text For thou hast cast all my sins behind thy back The word for means because You see the wonderful thing about it is The Lord dealt with every one of Hezekiah's sins They were confessed They were cleansed by the precious blood They were covered over And they were carried away, so much so they're put behind God's back. Notice the words, for thou hast cast all my sins behind thy back. See, every sin, remember, is known to the Lord. Secret sin, presumptuous sin, open sin. Maybe you wouldn't want your sins known in public. Maybe you wouldn't want your parents known the way you're behaving and living and what you're doing. And if they were talked about openly, you would be horrified and mortified. Remember the Bible says But whoso confesses his sin And forsaketh him shall find mercy But he that covereth his sin shall not prosper See, Hezekiah is facing a day of death Judgment is coming But he's got peace Why? Because the sin problem has been dealt with It's no longer before God It's gone, it's under the blood It won't stand as a witness against him in the day of judgment It's no longer on the books The sin has been dealt with The old account has been settled long ago He's enjoying the blessedness and the knowledge of sins forgiven The Lord has dealt with his sin He's put it behind his back The Bible sometimes talks about casting sin in the depths of the sea It talks about covering our sin as with a thick cloud And here's another aspect Casting sins behind his back Not one sins in view Not one sin will stand before him There will be no answer for his sin Remember the psalmist said in Psalm 32 And in the uh, verses uh, 1 and 2 Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven Whose sin is covered Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity And in whose spirit there is no guile The word blessed means happy, happy Happy because he's got a full and free and forever pardon. And on what basis does God give him this and God do this act? Well, remember what we read in the scriptures as we close. For he, that is God, had made him, that is Christ, to be sin for us. Who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And here's the compassion that he enunciates. Thou hast put all my sins behind thy back. Isn't that a wonderful thing to think about tonight? Is your sins forgiven? Are they behind God's back? Have they been dealt with because the sin problem has been dealt with in Christ? And the righteous life of Christ has been put to your account because you've received Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? I ask you tonight, if you're facing a crisis... Especially a spiritual crisis, we have no peace. Your bitterness of soul, face up to your sin. Talk about my sin. Realize the sentence that your sin deserves. And yet realize tonight in a wonderful way, you can be saved from the penalty and power of your sin. Because there is such a thing as salvation from sin. And it's based and rooted in the love of God and Christ. And you can experience the blessedness of soul salvation. The knowledge of sins forgiven. By receiving Christ as Lord and Saviour. And I ask tonight this question. Is he your personal Lord and Saviour? Do you have a testimony to the wonderful love of God in Christ? May the Lord take these few thoughts and bless them to you this evening. And may the Lord speak to your heart.